0: Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for where you have brought us to where we're at to this day. And God, I pray that. You will just continue to be with East Randolph Church and Cornerstone as we become autonomous. And I just pray that you are guiding us to work together and to advance your kingdom here in central Vermont and to the ends of the earth. And God, I pray for today's service. I pray as Pastor Marty preaches the word, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what what you will speak to us and that, We will go away changed more and more like your son, Jesus. And we will go and do likewise. So I just thank you, praise you, give you all the glory and honor. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks,
1: Chris. So today we will finish our study of the book of Genesis what i want to try to do is show you the connection between the book of genesis and the great commission jesus's call to make disciples of all nations and as always i need god's help so we're going to pray father in heaven i thank you for the wonderful privilege we have as your people to be your disciples lord i pray that we be teachable that we would truly learn to observe and obey all that you've commanded Lord, I pray that we would grow in our love for the Lord Jesus and that would shine out in and through us, corporately, individually, and that we would be able to faithfully bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, we thank you for the work of your Spirit. We thank you for the power of your gospel and the beauty of your church. God, help us to grow in the likeness of Christ and to be what you've called us to be for your glory, not just ERBC and Cornerstone but all churches that faithfully preach Christ. We pray that you would be with our brothers and sisters all over the globe, many of which are in persecuted lands. It is dangerous for them to gather. It is dangerous for them to preach Christ. I pray that they will be faithful till they take their last breath. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to conclude our study of the book of Genesis. And I'm suggesting that the book of Genesis is a vital part of God's redemptive work. Pointing to Christ and our commission to make disciples as commanded by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 28. Remember, our vision as two churches is to win to proclaim Christ, to see people come to faith in Christ, to train, to disciple, equip, help people mature, and then sent out to carry out the work that we see God's people were called to all the way back in Genesis 12 when God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So I want us to just think about that for a minute. Corporately, as the church, are we... blessing to the nations. How? I want to argue that it's not through social reform. It's not through complaining about the government. It's through the gospel. We are a blessing to the nations as we preach Christ locally, regionally, and to the ends of the earth. And I think this is what God had on his mind when he called Abraham out And said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I believe these families are God's people for all time, including us here. So it's good for us to regularly be asking ourselves, how am I individually and corporately with my brothers and sisters a blessing to the nations? Let's be honest, sometimes the church has not always been a blessing. And this is why people say, well, I don't go to church because it's all the hypocrites. Or I don't believe in organized religion. And so we have a responsibility to be a blessing to all the nations. And I think Genesis lays a phenomenal foundation for us as the New Testament church. So we're going to quickly go through chapters 48 through 50. I'm not going to read all of these. All your questions about these three chapters will not be answered today. I don't think I could anyway. So we're going to start with Genesis 48, verses 1, and read through verse 4. It's probably helpful to remember what's happened, at least in the life of Joseph. Remember, I think it was starting back in chapter 37. Joseph was thrown in a well, sold by his brothers, terrible big brothers, sold into slavery, He was found in Potiphar's house, where God was with him in everything he did. God blessed him, blessed Potiphar's house. Mrs. Potiphar caught a gaze at this handsome young man, tried to seduce him. He didn't give in, and she cried foul, and he got thrown in jail. In jail, he was given the ability by God to interpret dreams. Remember, one of the dreams, the chief cupbearer, and the other, the baker, one of the dreams ended up in the, in the baker having his, being executed. The chief cupbearer was raised to his position and Joseph said, remember me. Well, he didn't until his boss, Pharaoh, had a dream. And he remembered this young Hebrew who had, God had given the ability to interpret dreams. God raised him back up again. And he predicted, he prophesied that for seven years there would be great increase in the land and for seven years there would be a great famine that's exactly what happened and God raised him up to prepare the people for this lean time and so all this has happened God's brought his brothers to him last week Aaron preached on the passage where it was revealed to the brothers who who Joseph was and now we're at the end of their dad's life And so we we pick up the story in Genesis 48, verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you of a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So throughout the book of Genesis, we've heard echoes of the promise that was made in Genesis 12. And we see it again here in Genesis 48. Genesis 12 So throughout the book of Genesis, we've heard echoes or continuations, fulfillment of this promise that was made to Abram in Genesis 12 and repeated throughout the book. This is true not only of Genesis, but in the New Testament as well, that God is advancing his kingdom work. He's building his church through his people, just as he promised he would do in the book of Genesis. So Abram was promised. We see this repeated through all the patriarchs. We're at the end of, really, Joseph's life, as well as his dad's, and he's bringing his children to their grandpa, and they're reminded of this great covenant, this everlasting possession that was initiated back in Genesis 12. And then in 48, Genesis 48, 15, and 16, we read, And he blessed Joseph, so Jacob, his dad. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on In the name of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So again, this continuation of this promise, the building of God's kingdom, if you will. I think it's really important, and I know we've mentioned this before, is that when you read the Bible, that you don't just read the wonderful story, but that you read of the wonderful God in the story. All over Scripture, and here we see it in Genesis 48, we are reminded of who this God is. And when you think of these patriarchs and all their mistakes, all their unfaithfulness, and God's faithfulness, notice one of the terms that is used to describe this God. We read, "...the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd." all my life long to this day. When you read the Scriptures, do you see the attributes of God? Do you see the character of this God we worship? And are you experiencing the character of this God in your life? Let's just stop on the the shepherd picture of God, which is so beautiful throughout Scripture. I would guess that most of us could quote Psalm 23. When is the last time you meditated over that psalm and made it personal the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he provides everything we need he makes me to lie in green pastures and still waters for his name's sake even though you and I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death we need not fear no evil why Because he is with us. These guys messed up a lot. These guys in this room, you and me, mess up a lot too. And what he realized at the end of his life was that this God had been the shepherd all of his life to this day. Friend, do you know the Lord as your shepherd? I think we often know a lot of facts about God. God's holy. God's magnificent. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. That's true. But do you know the Lord is your shepherd? Do you know the Lord is your shepherd as revealed in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, this is the God that's revealed to us in the Scriptures. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all who call upon the name of the Lord. It's so easy to read the scriptures and get the gist of the story and miss the God of the story. And that's true in our own lives. Let's face it, many of us did not come excited this morning to have an encounter with God, did we? Well, Sunday. Get the kids up and let's get out the door. I know, the same thing happens in my house. But the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the shepherd of his people is with his people all day long. And if you don't remember anything out of this message, I want you to consider, do you know the Lord as your shepherd? Do you know the Christ, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for his sheep? And is he leading you through the valley of the shadow of death, restoring your soul, leading you to green pastures and still waters. Do you know this God, and are you walking with him? And if not, why not? It's very telling at the end of their life, of all the mistakes they made, that they are recounting the faithfulness of the Lord as their shepherd. And this should be our story. When you read the Bible, I would encourage you to be captivated by the goodness of God as revealed in his character. We not only see the reference to shepherd, we read of this angel who is redeemed. Remember, angels are messengers of God. And the story of the Bible is a story of redemption where God's always calling his people out and into fellowship with him. This is one of the beauties of knowing God as Father. He is the one who's called us out of darkness, into light, and he's commissioned us to proclaim his greatness of who he is to the ends of the earth. And this is how we're a blessing to the nations. The church gets in a lot of trouble when we think, oh, we're supposed to be about social reform. No, we're not. We're supposed to be about gospel reform. There's many good things that the church gets sidetracked with because we forget that the greatest way we are blessing to the nations is by preaching Christ and Him crucified. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's why we plant churches. Not to make a name for ourselves, but to proclaim the name of Christ. God's people have always been called to be a blessing by pointing people to the covenant-keeping God. Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, but not in the order that Joseph thought. We see this a lot in Genesis, where sometimes the younger one is being blessed over the older one, and pushing it back against culture a little bit. So the sons are blessed. Jacob dies and is buried with his people. In Genesis 50, Joseph mourns. He asks Pharaoh's permission to bury his father. And goes away with his servants. We see this sort of prophecy that's spoken about the brothers of what they will become good, bad, and ugly. And then we pick up the story in verse 15. Now, think about this. Remember the story. These brothers were terrible brothers, and they have been protected up to this point. But dad's not here anymore, and they're thinking, Oh, great. Retribution is coming. Our brother is the second most powerful man in the land, and now we're going to get what's coming to us. And they're scared, and understandably so. Dad's died, and so we read in verse 15 of Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph has continued to be a man of godly character and a compassionate, loving brother. Aside from Jesus Christ, I don't think you'll find a more gracious, godly man in the scriptures than this guy. And all through the story, we've seen Joseph as a type, a pointer to the Lord Jesus. We've seen him move to compassion and emotions, and again, we see it. We don't know what's going through Joseph's mind, but maybe he's thinking, after all we've been through, and that God's brought us together, you guys still don't get it. I don't know if that's what he's thinking. But he's moved the compassion. His history has proven that he's a godly, upright man, and his brothers are still afraid of him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph, not only was a compassionate, godly man, he was a man who understood the sovereign rule of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wasn't discounting the evil. He wasn't saying, oh, it's fine, brothers. But he realized that he was not the judge and jury. You know, isn't it interesting? The more people get elevated, the more they think they're God. You may have worked for a company or be in a position where people are big shots and they they functionally think they're sovereign. Joseph was the second most powerful man on the planet and he still understood his place. He was a servant of the Most High. God was the one that executed judgment, not him. And he could have. This is a really important thing for us to remember, especially when someone's done wrong against us. And Joseph understood as he saw the story unfolded, but even before the story unfolded, that God had good in this. The sovereign God had allowed all of this to happen for good to come. In fact, his brothers were probably still alive today because of all of what happened because God had raised Joseph up to be a good steward of the land. Joseph says, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his brothers, in his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of the land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And that's how Genesis ends. But that's not where God's redemptive story ends. We are living proof of that today. Joseph continues to focus on God, knowing that it was God who would accomplish his good redemptive works, even as evil was committed, Joseph truly is one of the greatest examples of godly character in all the scripture. We've seen many times him being a pointer to Christ, a type. Remember Jesus' words in John and Luke all of the scriptures are about me. And so I want us to think for a moment is there a connection? And I'm arguing that there is a connection between Genesis and Jesus' call for his church to make disciples of all nations as a blessing. And so what I try to do is when I, an idea comes in my mind, I I don't assume that I'm right. And if I'm the only one that's come up with the idea, I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. So I started researching this and I found some really great articles that also seem to suggests that there's a connection between Genesis and our call in Matthew 28. And I I was pleased to find a wonderful article by a Presbyterian minister and a Baptist pastor. I tried to shorten the one from the Presbyterian, but most Presbyterians I know are, as, as we say in Vermont, wicked smart, and I didn't want to mince or change their words, so a lot of this is direct quote that I found from a seminary professor named Michael L. Morals, and this was on the um, Ligonier website, and it's a little wordy, but notice how he makes the connection between Genesis and the Great Commission. I think it's incredibly helpful for us for lots of reasons. One is that I think many of us grew up, if we grew up in the church, seeing the Bible as just a bunch of disconnected stories that really what's the point to me today? I've heard Christians say, we don't even need the Old Testament anymore. Um, Hopefully none of you are in the room. And and I think this guy does a great job connecting that. And I think it will be helpful for us, not only as we finish the book of Genesis, but as we go forward to make disciples fulfilling the commission that God's called us to, and and, uh, by God's grace, plant and revitalize more churches. So listen to what uh, Mr. Morrill said. The Great Commission begins before humanity's fall away from communion with God. You hear what he's saying? He's saying... Before sin entered in, the Great Commission was already on God's mind. On the sixth day, man was commissioned by God to fill and subdue the earth and rule over the creatures, Genesis 1.27. Accordingly, one might justly define the Great Commission as ruling and subduing the earth and its creatures. The theology here is twofold. First, first, Adam is to gather up all the creation into the seventh day, praise and adoration. That is what it means to rule and subdue. He is charged to set apart, sanctify creation increasingly until the whole earth is holy, filled with the abiding glory of God. So we know this, but it's a good reminder. God created everything, not for our good pleasure, for His for his glory. He had a right to do that as creator. And he says, Second, there is no blessing to be enjoyed, be it ever so marginal, that does not drive from the reign of God. That is the joy of what it is meant, means to sub, be subdued. The great commission bestowed upon Adam entailed that his kingship would be in the service of his priestly office, namely that he would rule and subdue For the sake of gathering all creation to creator's footstool in worship i think it's john piper that said uh, missions exist where worship does not so part of bringing the gospel is we're bringing the gospel to people who yes they're worshiping but they're not worshiping the living god so that's our commission not to build buildings made of mortar but to gather people who will ultimately be gathered in heaven to worship. Once we understand the Great Commission as a function of kingship, we're in a better place to assess the agenda throughout the rest of the Old Testament. God's reign is universal and from the beginning. His plan of salvation aimed at all the families of the earth, never overlooking the fact that He shall inherit all the nations. Psalm 82.8 After the nations are scattered into exile from the Tower of Babel, God calls Abram in Genesis 12, promising that through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. This promise is later reiterated to Abraham. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 22 and 18. Then Isaac, onward to Jacob. Matthew 28, then, is but the embrace of the inheritance promised in Psalm 2. Yet this kingship is the service of a priestly office to usher us into God's presence through the veil of the torn flesh and shed blood. Through His outpoured Spirit, Jesus reigns to subdue and summon all creation to adoration of His Father. 1 Corinthians 15 subduing us day by day ever more deeply that we might learn how to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I realize that's, there's a lot there. But there definitely is a connection between Genesis 1 and throughout Genesis. This article I came um, forward making the same point by Michael Bortz. He's uh, on the strategic focus team for the North Carolina Baptist. And uh, one of the beauties of the internet is you can find about anyway. So I emailed him. I said, hey, can I, can I use your article? And he's like, sure. So that was kind of fun to be able to have a back and forth with, with him. So he starts off with Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls. And these are his words. Was Jesus' life and ministry the first time God called his followers to mission? Multiplying God's disciples throughout the world has always been his desire. A couple of things look a lot like Jesus' disciple-making ministry. Even before sin entered the world in Genesis, Adam and Eve are made in the likeness of God and told to fill the earth with people who will do the same. Disciple-making has always been a part of God's plan, even from the beginning. After the fall, sin created a barrier between God and the people that could only be removed, removed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through repentance and faith, God's people can be about His work, filling the whole earth with those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's always good to be reevaluating our life. Like what what am I about? What are we about corporately as God's people? Is it about making much of Christ? Are we about filling the whole earth with those who worship him in spirit and truth? In fact, you could probably say this is parenting. Our job as Christian parents is to raise up children who worship Jesus in spirit and truth regardless of what job they have but we do it backwards don't we I know I got four kids I have an agenda for all four of them I can tell you what I want all four of them to do but on the heart of every Christian parent and every Christian involved with the local church it is our job our commission our privilege our calling to be filling the whole earth with those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Americans, we should be ashamed of ourselves. We worship our freedom. We've seen that in the last 18 months. Sometimes it's our restriction that is the evil that God will use to motivate His redemptive work. It's so convicting for me to read these words and to think about what I'm captured with all day long and all week long that doesn't look a lot like filling the whole earth with those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. we got bills to pay. We've got snotty-nosed kids. There's all kinds of things that we have to do. But friends, at the core of our calling as Christians, at the core of our calling as the church, is to see the Gospel Kingdom of God advance and in so doing be a blessing to all nations. This is what we are called to. This is the work we are commissioned to do. And I have to be honest, there's a part of me that would be thinking, it'd be a whole lot easier if Cornerstone and East Randolph never planted another church, never revitalized, and we were just fat, dumb, and happy. But I think we got to ask God about our motives. Our call is to bring the Gospel to the ends of the nation. Not just us. This Wednesday, in our midweek, one of the missions areas we support is in Uganda doing that. So we have the privilege to pray, send, and support, and go ourselves. It's not just our two churches. But this is our call, and I think Genesis builds a wonderful foundation for our Gospel call. Genesis 1, God speaks of our creation mandate. Genesis 3.15 refers to one who will come and crush the works of the enemy. This is the Lord Jesus. Genesis 12 speaks of the great promise that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then our great commission given by the Lord Jesus, who says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, go get them on your own. Is that what Jesus says? It's an echo of what the God of the Bible has told the patriarchs. Friends, He is with us. And I think some of the mistakes we make as Christians, we come up with an agenda and say, hey God, come over here. Come be with me on what I want to do. He doesn't promise that. But as we are making disciples, as we're preaching Christ, as we're teaching people to observe everything He's commanded us, He promises He will be with us. True in Genesis, true in Matthew, true today, all the way through eternity when we'll be in the perfect presence of God. This is our call, this is our commission, and God promises He will be with us. And then in Genesis 50, 20, we are reminded of the sovereign work of God, amongst evil obviously this is specific to but not limited to the story with Joseph as for you speaking to the brothers you meant evil against me you know what friends there's lots of people that mean evil against the church and you know what some of them are professing Christians friendly fire is one of the most dangerous problems in the church but God will build his church. He will advance his kingdom. Because the same God that we worship is the same God that Joseph referred to that will accomplish good and will bring about the blessing to many people. Church, we got work to do. You know, one of the things I've noticed, especially in New England, nobody, needs to be told, nobody likes to be told what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Friends, I'm telling you what Jesus said to do. Get after it in the power of the Spirit. That's our call. That's our commission. And He promises He will be with us. As we close, I'm going to close my time in prayer with my favorite prayer in all the Bible that I think is so pertinent to the church, so pertinent to our call to make disciples. Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now listen to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you've entrusted the glorious gospel to us. Now, as two sister churches, I pray that you would give us strength to grow in our love for the Lord Jesus, our love for the mission, empowered with your gospel, to press back the darkness, seeing you do incredibly things greater than we can ask or imagine, God, I pray that you'd keep us humble, that you'd keep us dependent, that you'd empower us with your spirit to see greater things than this happen. God, you are able. And we are aware that we live in a culture that is becoming less and less friendly to you and therefore your church. So I pray that you would help us to realize the battle belongs to the Lord. But you have told us how to wage war in this battle. And it's not with the weapons of our flesh. So God, give us grace, give us strength as we see your kingdom move forward, your church built. And would you do a great work in and through us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand?